0: The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Ch-ch-chumba. ChumbaCasino.com No purchase necessary. Void. we're prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Part 1, Chapter 6 of An Outcast of the Islands by Joseph Conrad This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss Chapter six Lend me your gun, Almayer, said Willems across the table, on which a smoky lamp shone redly above the disorder of a finished meal. I have a mind to go and look for a deer when the moon rises tonight. Almayer, sitting sideways to the table, his elbow pushed amongst the dirty dishes, his chin on his breast and his legs stretched stiffly out, kept his eyes steadily on the toes of his grass slippers and laughed abruptly. "'You might say yes or no instead of making that unpleasant noise,' remarked Willems, with calm irritation. "'If I believed one word of what you said, I would,' answered Almayer, without changing his attitude and speaking slowly, with pauses, as if dropping his words on the floor. "'As it is, what's the use? You know where the gun is. You may take it or leave it. Gun. Deer. Bosh. Hunt deer. Ha! It's a gazelle you are after, my honored guest.' "'You want gold anklets and silk sarongs for that game, my mighty hunter. "'And you won't get those for the asking, I promise you. "'All day amongst the natives, a fine help you are to me. "'You shouldn't drink so much, Almayer," said Willems, disguising his fury under an affected drawl. "'You have no head. "'Never had, as far as I can remember, in the old days of Makesha. "'You drink too much.' "'I drink my own,' retorted Almayer. Lifting his head quickly and darting an angry glance at Willems, these two specimens of the superior race glared at each other savagely for a minute, then turned away their heads at the same moment, as if by previous arrangement, and both got up. Almayer kicked off his slippers and scrambled into his hammock, which hung between two wooden columns of the veranda, so as to catch every rare breeze of the dry season, and Willems, after standing irresolutely by the table for a short time, walked without a word down the steps of the house and over the courtyard towards the little wooden jetty where several small canoes and a couple of big white whaleboats were made fast tugging at the short painters and bumping together in the swift current of the river he jumped into the smallest canoe balancing himself clumsily slipped the rattan painter and gave an unnecessary and violent shove which nearly sent him headlong overboard by the time he regained his balance the canoe had drifted some fifty yards down the river. He knelt in the bottom of his little craft and fought the current with long sweeps of the paddle. Almayer sat up in his hammock, grasping its peak, and peering over the river with parted lips till he made out the shadowy form of man and canoe as they struggled past the jetty again. "'I thought you would go!' he shouted. "'Won't you take the gun, Hey? Hey!' he yelled, straining his voice. Then he fell back in his hammock and laughed to himself feebly till he fell asleep. On the river Willems, his eyes fixed intently ahead, swept his paddle right and left, unheeding the words that reached him faintly. It was now three months since Lingard had landed Willems in Sambir, and had departed hurriedly, leaving him in Almayer's care. The two white men did not get on well together. Almayer, remembering the time when they both served Hudik, and when the superior Willems treated him with offensive condescension, felt a great dislike towards his guests. He was also jealous of Lingard's favor. Almayer had married a Malay girl whom the old seaman had adopted in one of his accesses of unreasoning benevolence, and as the marriage was not a happy one from a domestic point of view, he looked to Lingard's fortune for compensation in his matrimonial unhappiness. The appearance of that man, who seemed to have a claim of some sort upon Lingard, filled him with considerable uneasiness. The more so because the old seaman did not choose to acquaint the husband of his adopted daughter with Willems' history, or to confide with him his intentions as to that individual's future fate. Suspicious from the first, Almayer discouraged Willems' attempts to help him in his trading, and then, when Willems drew back, he made, with characteristic perverseness a grievance of his unconcern. From cold civility in their relations, the two men drifted into silent hostility, then into outspoken enmity, and both wished ardently for Lingard's return and the end of a situation that grew more intolerable from day to day. The time dragged slowly. Willems watched the succeeding sunrises, wondering dismally whether before the evening some change would occur in the deadly dullness of his life. He missed the commercial activity of that existence which seemed to him far off, irreparably lost, buried out of sight under the ruins of his past success, now gone from him beyond the possibility of redemption. He mooned disconsolately about Almayer's courtyard, watching from afar, with uninterested eyes, the up-country canoes discharging gutta or and loading rice or European goods on the little wharf of Lingard and Company big as was the extent of ground owned by Almayer, Willems Yelp felt that there was not enough room for him inside those neat fences. The man who, during long years, became accustomed to think of himself as indispensable to others, felt a bitter and savage rage at the cruel consciousness of his superfluity, of his uselessness, at the cold hostility visible in every look of the only white man in this barbarous corner of the world. He gnashed his teeth when he thought of the wasted days, of the life thrown away in the unwilling company of that peevish and suspicious fool. He heard the reproach of his idleness in the murmurs of the river, in the unceasing whisper of the great forest. Round him everything stirred, moved, swept by in a rush, the earth under his feet and the heavens above his head. The very savages around him strove, struggled, fought, and worked, if only to prolong a miserable existence. But they lived, they lived, and it was only himself that seemed to be left outside the scheme of creation, in a hopeless immobility filled with tormenting anger, and with ever-stinging regret. He took to wandering about the settlement. The afterwards-flourishing Sambir was born in a swamp, and passed its youth in malodorous mud. The houses crowded the bank, and, as if to get away from the unhealthy shore, stepped boldly into the river shooting over it in a close row of bamboo platforms elevated on high piles, amongst which the current below spoke in a soft and unceasing plaint of murmuring eddies. There was only one path in the whole town, and it ran at the back of the houses along the succession of blackened circular patches that marked the place of the household fires. On the other side the virgin forest bordered the path coming close to it, as if to provoke impudently any passer-by to the solution of the gloomy problem of its depths. Nobody would accept the deceptive challenge. There were only a few feeble attempts at a clearing here and there, but the ground was low and the river, retiring after its yearly floods, left on each a gradually diminishing mud-hole where the imported buffaloes of the Bugis settlers wallowed happily during the heat of the day. When Willems walked on the path, the indolent men stretched on the shady side of their houses looked at him with calm curiosity. The women, busy round the cooking-fires, would send after him wandering and timid glances, while the children would only look once, and then run away yelling with fright at the horrible appearance of the man with a red and white face. These manifestations of childish disgust and fear stung Willems with a sense of absurd humiliation. He sought in his walks the comparative solitude of the rudimentary clearings, but the very buffaloes snorted with alarm at his sight scrambled lumberingly out of the cool mud and stared wildly in a compact herd at him as he tried to slink unperceived along the edge of the forest. One day, at some unguarded and sudden movement of his, the whole herd stampeded down the path, scattered the fires, sent the women flying with shrill cries, and left behind a track of smashed pots, trampled rice, overturned children, and a crowd of angry men brandishing sticks in a loud voice pursuit the innocent cause of that disturbance ran shamefacedly the gauntlet of black looks and unfriendly remarks and hastily sought refuge in almayer's campong. after that he left the settlement alone later when the enforced confinement grew irksome willems took one of almayer's many canoes and crossed the main branch of the